we have looked at three stories in the Gospels. We're going to look at our third story today in the Gospels where Jesus, these are stories that maybe are not taught about as much or you haven't read about as much because Jesus comes across in these stories just like a little bit mean. Now, he's not being mean because he's Jesus. So whatever he's doing is the right thing. But we, we've said each of these weeks in the, in, the, in the text that we've been reading that most of us have this concept of Jesus, this picture of Jesus, of this kind of like hippie, laid back. We, we've said each week, he's, we kind of all think of Jesus as like our favorite Matthew McConaughey character. Like he's this kind of laid back, turning water into wine, just kind of chilling, you know, everything's good. And he is so incredibly gracious. Man, he is. We sing songs like Jesus Loves Me, and that is true. But what we've said during this series, Meant for More, is that Jesus loves us just like we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay the way that we are. And we're meant for more. And so he is full of grace, but he's full of truth, and he's constantly closing the gap between where we are now and where we could be or should be or, or where he wants us to be. And so the Holy Spirit or preaching or different things that happen in our life knock on our hearts. God's knocking on our hearts and challenging us to live for more, not to settle, but to, but to live for more. And so we're going to finish that series today. I'm excited to do that. Uh, we're going to be reading two stories. Excuse me, fix my microphone there. We're going to be reading two stories, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 22. If you want to find that in your Bible or in your phone, uh, we'll be there in just a few moments, but this week was an exciting week around the church office uh, because I was sitting at my desk on the phone on uh, Monday, I guess it was, and all of a sudden I hear this loud boom, and, and I'm, my back is turned to the window, but I see this flash of light, like from my peripheral, like I, so I hear this loud boom, and I see this flash of light, and I was actually on the phone with my brother, and I went, oh my gosh, I gotta go, and hung up, right? And I just assumed maybe there was a car accident, somebody hit a power pole, I didn't know what it was, so I like run down the steps, Kaylee, who works here in the office, meets me here, and we walk outside, and there's nothing. And I'm like, okay, I know I'm not making this up. I just heard a loud boom, I saw a flash of light. You know, my brother keeps calling me, I'm not answering, you know, he's thinking, what's going on? And so we, we lost power to almost all of the church, and so we call LG&E, but then we start smelling smoke. And we're like, okay, it's not good. So we call the fire department. Fire department gets here, and the smoke smell is getting stronger. LG&E gets here. The good news is that um, everything was fine. We, we shorted from the street, lost like one phase of power. The AC kicked on, and that's what caused all the, the commotion. The bad news is in the process of calling the fire department, the fire marshal showed up. Fire marshal showed up. Now, we don't intentionally try to be um, hazardous to you guys. I just want you to know that. But over the last 30 years, there have been a few uh, things that have happened around here, structure facility-wise, that may not be exactly up to code. And, um, and, and Pastor John's been telling us that for a while. You know, we're going to run into a problem here. And so the fire marshal showed up and he introduced himself and he said, hey, you know, I'm the fire marshal. And I immediately made eye contact with Kaylee and I was like, let's contain them. We got to contain them here was my thought process. And um, we're all right. Everything turned out all right. But, uh, but 
here's what, what got me thinking, right? Here's what got me thinking is that there are these times in life, there are these moments in life when maybe things are not as they should be. Maybe, maybe things have slacked off. Maybe things aren't like they started out, but they have gradually degraded to a place that if they were to be inspected, they wouldn't meet the standard, Right? Psalm 139 says, uh, David's talking to God, and he says, search me, O God. Search me, O God. Test me. Know my heart. Know my anxious thoughts. Search me, O God. And, and I wonder today, like, if you would be bold enough, courageous enough to ask God or give God permission to search you. Like some of you, you got some, you know, you got maybe a criminal past and you're like, no, no searching. Like I don't do the searching thing, right? I don't, I don't trust anybody, you're not searching me. But spiritually speaking, I wonder if you would be bold enough, courageous enough to say to God, like, God, you can search me. You can inspect me. Like you can walk around and you can check everything and just see if I meet the standard or if I live up, live up to the code. And um and so that's what I want to talk about today. I'm just going to go ahead and give you a heads up. Like, I love to be funny, and I love to be encouraging and inspiring, and I hope that I do that today. But I'm just going to give you a heads up. Like, this one's going to get heavy today. This is going to get a little bit, little bit heavy, a little bit intense, and uh, that's okay. I, I, can, I can promise you that at some point today in the message, you're going to want to push back a little bit from what you're hearing. It's going to seem a little too hard. That's kind of why we've been doing this series. We just want to take three weeks and just like raise the bar based on what Jesus said. It's going to seem a little hard. There are going to be some parts today where you're going to hear something Jesus says and you're going to think that's unfair. That's unfair. Um, but I truly believe, like I truly genuinely believe with all of my heart that today has the potential to be life changing for somebody, like a real life-defining day for some of you in, in the room. And, um, and so let's don't disconnect when it gets hard. Let's don't pull out our phones and get on Facebook when we get offended. Uh, let's tell God, God, I'm open to whatever you're trying to teach me. That's a dangerous statement and confession. But we just say to God, God, I am open to whatever it is you're trying to teach me, like, God, search me, search me, search me and search my heart. And that's what we're going to do today. Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, this is a third story, a third parable. We've looked at a parable each week where it seems like Jesus is being a little bit mean, even though he's not. Um, and this is going to be one of those stories in Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to start reading in verse one. It'll be up on the screen for you. If you have a Bible or it's on your phone, follow along. I think there's something powerful about following along. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14, here's what it says. It says, Jesus told them another parable, which a parable is just a fictional story with a real life point, okay? And so Jesus tells them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened calf have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guest he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm and another to his business. And others 
seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. So let's just stop for a second. Anytime you read a parable, uh, it's, it's going to have some extreme to it to make a point. And so in this story, the king is God. Obviously, the son is Jesus. There is this party, this wedding feast. And there are people who are being invited in. Some of them are just indifferent. Like, I don't want to go, right? I just don't want to go. Others are violently opposed. Maybe you've met some people like that before. It's like, I don't believe there's a God and I hate him. Like, they're just violently opposed to this idea of, of Jesus or God. Or, and so you find people who are indifferent. You find people who are violently opposed to the idea of Jesus celebrating the party, the banquet, the feast, whatever you want to call it. And that's what's happening in this story. All right. So it says the king was furious. And he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone. Everybody say everyone. He said, I want you to invite everybody. If you can find them, they're invited, he's saying, okay, because everything's ready. And go out to the street corners, invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find. Let's just stop for a second and let's just, let's just pick up and, and kind of affirm and reaffirm the fact that this is what God has called us to as the church. That Jesus, there's another part where Jesus says that my house may be full. Like there is, this is what God has called us to, to go out and to find everybody, anyone and everyone is welcome to come, come in. Come in, be here, celebrate with us. Everyone is welcome. This is not for one color of people. This is not for one uh, class of people. Like this is for everyone. And that's kind of the point Jesus is making here. We're gonna get to the bigger point, but he's saying like in this picture that, that everybody is welcome. Everybody's welcome. So the servants brought in everything, everyone they could find, good and bad alike, that describes us, right? Good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. And so we stop right there. If the story just ended right there, we're smiling, we clap, I pray, we go home and we say, yeah, it's awesome. That's what church should be like, you know? Everybody's welcome, good and bad alike. Everybody gets to come to the party. This is great. We're all hugging and feeling good about ourselves and we go home. That's not how the story ends. So the servants brought in everyone, good and bad, it was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. And friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. And then the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet. And throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is one of those stories where Jesus just seems to be, to be mean, isn't it? We've said each week of this series, like, this is definitely not Matthew McConaughey Jesus, right? This is definitely not, like, Everybody's good, we're good, all right, everything's fine. No, this is, this is Jesus with an edge. 
But remember what we've said each week, that he's not being mean. He is Jesus. Whatever, he's, whatever his response is, is the appropriate response. He's full of grace and he's full of truth. And so the first week we looked at a story about a barren fig tree that Jesus cursed and it died. And we said that what we learned from that is that there are barren, non-fruitful areas of our life and we need to be like Jesus, curse them and let them die because they're not fruitful. And there is this expectation, obviously, that Jesus has that things that are supposed to be fruitful produce fruit. And last week, we talked about how that we are expected to do the best that we can with what we have, not what somebody else has, but what we have, that there is this expectation that Jesus has, that God has, that based on what he's given us, we do the best that we can with that. It's called stewardship. And so now we pick up this story and we see another expectation that Jesus, that Jesus has. But, but when we read it, we are, it kind of just sits a little bit funny on us, doesn't it? A man who was, wasn't invited to begin with, who honestly is probably poor, probably doesn't have nice clothes, comes to the party that almost didn't happen anyway, and he gets kicked out because the king feels like he's not dressed up enough. Let's just stop and think about those details. A poor man who probably doesn't have nice clothes gets invited to a party that probably wasn't going to happen anyway and get, get, gets kicked out because he doesn't meet the standard or isn't dressed up enough. This is another example where Jesus seems to have, does have standards and expectations. Now, two quick takeaways from this story before we get to the bigger point, just two that I think are worth mentioning. Number one, here's the first takeaway. God is offended by me treating his grace like it's not a big deal, okay? So that's the first big takeaway. We can't stay there long, but I think it's important to know that, that the expectation of, of what, what we learn about the expectation of God in this story is that there is uh, different, different expectations for different environments, that, that the king shows up and, and even though he let everybody in, he was not lowering the standard for what was expected once you got in. Does that make sense to everybody? So the king shows up and in essence, he's saying to him, like, um, this ain't Taco Bell, bro. Right? That's what he's saying to the man. That, that we all know in life, there are these different, there's just different dress codes for different environments. Isn't that true? And I just got to be honest, I just hate dress codes right? I say dress codes. Now, really all authority in general. Like if you tell me I have to do something, there is this thing inside of me that's like, I'm going to figure out how to not do it. I don't, sorry, just confession time. That's me, right? So anytime I'm invited to something and they say like, it's a black tie affair or it's business casual, I'm like, I'm wearing flip-flops. Like I just want to rebel against whatever it is, which is wrong. One time I went to um, Jeff Ruby's. I didn't know there was a dress code. And uh, I got to me to, to, to Jeff Ruby's. I was wearing shorts. And uh, I walked in the door, and the guy's like, sir, I'm sorry, but we have a dress code here. And I'm like, oh, for real? Like, I've never been to a restaurant with a dress code. And uh, he's like, yeah, I'm sorry, we won't be able to serve you. <laughs> I'm like, sir, this, like, is there anything you could do? Like, I'll know next time. Like, I'm wearing shorts and, like, a, I think a golf shirt or something. We were probably coming from golf or something. And they sit us in the very back corner of the bar, like, hiding us or whatever. But we ended up getting to eat. It was cool. But we all know that there are different 
like levels of attire, different standards for different environments. And what you wear to Taco Bell, hello, you don't wear to Roos Chris. Are you following me? Right? So like there are some different, different levels, different standards. And the king shows up in this story and just says like, hey, listen, like everybody gets to come. Like you, you're invited to get in the door. But don't think just because you got invited in the door that there's not, how, not somehow some expectation. And this ain't Taco Bell, brother. So you need to put some clothes on like you're supposed to put on is what the guy's saying. And the, and the, and the relation to this is that God deserves honor, respect, and glory. Like God deserves it and expects it. You're not doing God any favors by coming to church. You're not doing God any favors by being saved. Like, like you get the blessing and the benefit from that. And so he did you a favor by inviting you to the party that you would have never been able to get into. So don't think just because they needed people to get into the door that there's not any expectations. That's number one, just a small takeaway. Number two is this, I have no excuse for not giving my best. There's never a scenario in life, especially when it comes to God, God's grace, that I have an excuse for not giving my best. We could come up with excuses for this guy, right? Like, it would be pretty easy to. He's probably poor. He probably didn't have enough notice. It sounds like it was a pretty quick turnaround. He's poor, didn't have enough notice. Maybe, maybe he tried his best. Maybe he's wearing the nicest outfit he has. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But, like, maybe this is the best that he's got. So we come back to this feeling of it's not fair. It's what it feels like, but it doesn't matter. Because there's no excuse, according to this story, the standards that we get for not giving our best, that our response to God should not be the absolute best that we can do, the best commitment, the best gift, the best attendance, the best honor, the best worship, whatever it is. Like There's never a time where we respond to God by saying, It's not the best I can do, but at least I'm doing something. So just like be grateful. No, like our response should be to give God our best. So here's a question for you before we get to one more story. Where in your life are you treating God's grace like it's Taco Bell? And uh, you keep making excuses for lowering your standards. Let me ask that one more time because that's like a really theological statement you'll never hear a preacher make again. Where in your life are you treating God's grace like Taco Bell? And you keep making excuses for lowering your standards. Now, all my life, all my life, I've read this story. And I've had the same thought. Like, like, I got saved when I was 15, 16, loved reading the Bible, loved the book of Matthew, probably read the book of Matthew more than any other, like 10 times over. And so always read this story. And every time I've read it, since I was like 16 years old, I've had the same thought. This feels unfair. This feels unfair. It feels like this guy should have been cut some slack, right? That's what I think every time I read this story. And I think the reason that I feel that way is because me and so many other pastors like me have tried to preach grace, 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 grace. And I'm so glad that we do. And I'm so glad that the pendulum kind of swung the other way. Because if you spent much time in church 15, 20 years ago, you didn't hear as much about grace. You heard a lot about like rules, 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 rules. And, and so that wasn't awesome either. And so the pendulum kind of swung the other way. Thank you, Jesus, for some pendulum swing. But maybe, possibly, 
Grace, 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 grace has now pushed us to the other extreme of the equation. That's like, oh man, God don't care. It's cool. God don't care. And, 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 and so I preach grace and I talk about grace and I will always lean to the side of grace. I already feel bad after three weeks of like hard preaching. I, I, I already want to like do a series on like, you know, Jesus loves you, you're awesome, smile, proud of you. Like that's what the next, next name of the series is gonna be. Like just whatever, like just something nice, right? I wanna make sure that everybody knows God loves you and God will forgive you and he'll give you another chance and another chance and another chance and another chance and that is true. But at some point, and that point is different for everyone. Don't know when that time comes for you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, it's not now necessarily. Maybe you've been serving God four weeks. Maybe you've been serving God four years, 40 years. But at some point in your life and your relationship with God, you have to decide if you're going to do anything with the grace that you have received. Like, I can't believe that God saved me. What am I going to do with that? Like, what is my response to that? The question I wrote down for me a few weeks ago leading into this series is, what does grace require of me? Because grace is free. Salvation is free. We've said each week, and I want to make sure you hear this again, we're not talking about what you need to do or have to do to be saved. To be saved, you just believe in Jesus and receive the gift of grace. This is what we do because we're saved. Because we love Jesus, not so Jesus will love us. He loves you. He can never love you more. But now that you know he loves you, what does that mean to you? What does that make you want to do? What does that require of you? What are you going to do with the grace? And so if after reading this story, you feel like that, like you, you are having those same feelings that I've been having since 16, so for the last 17 years, almost 18, birthday's next month, just a little drop that for you there. <laughs> if after reading this story, you're like, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. It feels really unfair. It feels like God's being mean. You're telling me, Jason, nobody else in there had on like a, a bad outfit? You're telling me, Jason, like there wasn't one guy in there, like this is the guy, the only guy he gets picked on, this feels a little unfair. If you feel that way, and I totally understand why you would feel that way, I wanna read one more section of scripture to you. It's in Matthew chapter 16. And let me just set it up for you really quickly. Jesus is telling his disciples he's about to go to Jerusalem and get arrested. We're coming to like the end of his life. And he's, he's, he's about to go to Jerusalem and get arrested and killed and, and he's telling his disciples this, like, hey, guys, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. It's not going to be good. They're going to beat me. They're going to kill me. I am going to ra be raised from the dead. But, like, they're not comprehending what he's saying at all. And so when Peter hears that Jesus, when Peter hears Jesus describing an outcome or scenario that is not only not favorable, but is bad, like, that, Jesus, that God's plan for Jesus' life would be not health, wealth, and prosperity. When Peter hears that, he's certain that something has to be wrong, that this could not be the plan, right? He can't comprehend a scenario where something bad or unfair would happen to Jesus. And what happened to Jesus was the ultimate unfair. And so Peter can't comprehend this. So Peter 
I love the audacity of this, pulls Jesus to the side and he's like, Jesus, listen, I know you normally take the lead, but let me jump in right here and say, and this is what we read in Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 23, then Jesus turned to, or then Peter, excuse me, Peter says to Jesus, this ain't God's plan. This is not, this could not be God's plan. Death, torture, suffering, this could not be God's plan. No way. I think God's plan is probably for you to be king, for us to be like princes. I don't know. But this could not be God's plan. In Matthew 16, 23, Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap for me. And we're going to read a little bit more, but I just want to stop because this is so important. Jesus said, stop, you're a dangerous trap to me. What is a dangerous trap? To me, well, like Jesus, what is a dangerous trap to Jesus? It's a valid question. You need to stop right there and ask that question. Why would Jesus say to his like number one or two disciple? I don't know how the rankings were at the time, but like, why would Jesus say to Peter, "You're Satan and you're a dangerous trap to me"? Why would he say that? Here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying to Peter, and I think this is maybe the most relevant message that we could preach to our society and culture at this time right now. Jesus is saying that it's a dangerous trap to believe that there are no scenarios where you would, that won't be asked to sacrifice, possibly die, or let's just lower it to being inconvenienced. There, there, Jesus wants to make sure Peter knows, and for us today, that the trap is to believe that Jesus' plan for your life doesn't involve inconvenience, sacrifice, or not getting what you want. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I know you're having trouble comprehending this because this doesn't sound like Matthew McConaughey. He didn't say that, but you know what I mean. But please hear me, Peter, Jesus is saying, don't fall into the trap of thinking that God's plan doesn't involve sacrifice, inconvenience, and not getting what you want. Peter is saying to Jesus, God would never ask you to do that. You weren't hearing God right because God would never ask you to do that. That's unreasonable. That's not fair. And Jesus says to Peter, you sound like the devil. Please hear that. Peter says to Jesus, God would never ask you to do that because that sounds unreasonable and unfair. And Jesus says, that sounds like exactly what the devil says. And that's a trap. Let's keep reading. And God says to Peter, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. That feeling that you feel, that's unfair. That's unreasonable. You feel that way because you're seeing things from a human point of view, and a human point of view says fairness, no sacrifice, always get what you want, no inconvenience. Jesus wants what's best for me, and I know what's best for me, so Jesus wants for me what I want for me. And Jesus says that's a human point of view. That's certainly not God's point of view, right? And I'm a father, and I know that most of the time, my children's point of view is not my point of view. 
We don't get to eat goldfish for dinner every night. We don't put syrup on everything. I know you think that's what you want and that's what will make you happy, but as your father, let me tell you, you just got a child's point of view, not your father's point of view. And then Jesus just like drops the hammer and he says to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Everybody say your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? I don't have time to do justice to everything we just read, but I think there's a few things we gotta, we, we gotta point out. Jesus says that if you wanna be my disciple, you wanna be my follower, you gotta give up your own way. You gotta give up your own way. So let me ask you this question. What have you had to give up to follow Jesus? Literally, like not figuratively, literally. What have you had to give up to follow Jesus? Since you have asked him to be the savior and be in charge of your life, what have you had to give up? Have you had to give up a relationship, money, family, a job, freedom, a lifestyle? Have you had to give up anything to follow Jesus? Anything of your own way that you've had to lay down? Because Jesus says to his disciples who are confused because they assume God would never ask someone to do something they don't want to do, that following Jesus means giving up your own way, laying down your plans for your life and obeying God. So if you've never had to give up anything to follow Jesus, you may not be following Jesus. You may be asking Jesus to follow you. And he don't do that. You don't do that. So where in your life, let's go back to the first story we read. Where in your life right now are you not living up to the dress code? Right? Because you assume that God loves you so much, he would never ask you to do something you don't want to do. He would never ask you to live up to some standard. He would never ask you to give up something that you love in life, even though it's not his plan for your life. Maybe you have to give up your American dream, your definition of success. Maybe you have to give up a relationship. Maybe you have to give up a habit. Maybe you have to give up a lifestyle. And the only alternative is a life of celibacy and singleness. Maybe it's not giving up anything. Maybe it's staying committed to something. Maybe it's staying married when you're unhappy and you feel like you married the wrong person, but you made a commitment before God and everybody else that day in that church. What cross are you willing to bear to follow Jesus? Jesus asked the most important question. 
at the very end of what we read, he said, let's say, let's just say, hypothetically, that ultimately you get what you want. But in the process of getting what you want, you lose your soul. What's the point? What's the point? Be happy for 30 years and miserable for eternity? What's the point? So here's what happens in these moments. I told you this was going to be heavy. Here's what happens in these moments, these moments right now that we're in, okay? The Holy Spirit is knocking and pressing and nudging and speaking and screaming into our minds and our hearts. And, and, we, and we grip tighter because we're afraid of letting go, Right? It's the craziest thing if you've ever seen someone who is drowning not allow someone to rescue them. That they aggressively push away from their rescuer. That's what happens in these moments when the Holy Spirit knocks on our heart and nudges on our heart, screams in our ear and says, it's time to lay it down. It's time. We grip harder. Desperate to hang on to it. You can always tell when someone is at the crossroads of trying to decide if a laid down life is worth it. Every time. Every time. I, I, you can spot it a mile away. I've had so many conversations. I've done this myself. You can spot it every time that someone is realizing for the first time that them and God can't both have what they want. And when that happens, you start hearing people say, or maybe you start saying phrases like, so you're telling me that, fill in the blank, like, so you're telling me God would want me to be alone for the rest of my life? That's what you're telling me? That sounds unfair. That's how you know you're almost ready to lay down your own way. Because you start saying statements like, you're telling me that God would rather me be married and broke than living together but provided for? You're telling me that, that God would want that? You're almost there. You're almost there. You mean God would want me to be unhappily married? You're telling me that God's plan for my life is to be unhappily married? That's not what I'm telling you. His plan for your life is not to be unhappily married, but it is to be married and stay married to the commitment that you made. You mean God would want me to tithe but not be able to pay my bills? No, God's plan for your life is not to not be able to pay your bills. But his plan for your life is to be first, for him to be first. So when you get to that moment when the Holy Spirit's like there and you're ready to lay down your own way and take up your cross and, and stop thinking with a human point of view but God's point of view, when you get to that point, you start, you start saying those, this is unfair statements. So you're telling me, why would God want me to? Like, that's how you start talking. And then the next step is to minimize the act of obedience. So then you say things like, well, it's just sex. It's just a piece of paper. It doesn't really mean anything. Now we're rationalizing. And when we start saying those things, it is our selfish, sinful nature making one last attempt to keep our hands wrapped around the things that we're so afraid to let go of. Following Jesus means giving up what you think you want in order to get what you don't know that you want yet. 
Here's what you find out about following Jesus. Losing is winning and dying is living. Losing is winning and dying is living. So let me close by saying this. Remember that, remember that first story that we read today about the guy who got invited but kicked out for his clothes? Maybe you feel like him right now. You wanna be invited, but you wanna wear what you wanna wear. Today, God wants you to know, like, it don't work like that. It don't work like that. You were meant for more and he loves you too much to let you settle. It doesn't work like that. The way it works is we're so in awe that God would ever invite us into his party that we dress for the occasion. And no matter what we have to give up, it's always worth it. So hear me, no matter what you have to lay down to follow Jesus, it's always worth it. Every time, no matter what you have to give up, no matter what you gotta wear, and obviously I'm talking figuratively here, no matter what you gotta wear, it's worth it. I'm not talking about some rules that your grandma gave you or your your brother-in-law gave you or some religiousness. No, I'm talking about the word of God. standards and expectations that God has for us, not to love us and not to save us, but because he loves us and because he saved us, we're going to dress for the